Well, howdy there. I am so excited to share this next episode with you. I sat down with one of my good friends, Kathleen, and we talked everything. I don't even know. Well, actually, I do know. Um, I love Kathleen because she's someone I always have good conversations with, and she was so wonderful and sharing her life experience with experiences with me, um, in particular, sharing in detail about um, a traumatic experience that she had when she was 29, which was when her um, father passed away with terminal cancer. And she talks about that in great detail and how um, that chapter in her life and that event really shaped um, who she is today, as I'm sure you can imagine. It's a longer episode. Kathleen is a talker, but everything she says, at least to me, is always very fascinating and funny, and I'm excited for you to listen. So enjoy. What's your story, Kathleen? My husband will not tease me, but maybe not believe me that my earliest memory is being a newborn age when I was laying in the bassinet in my parents room and I just remember the tassels on their curtains that's my earliest memory but I so you just remember like laying there and seeing the tassels I just remember looking up and seeing I knew I was in a bassinet but there's no pictures of me in that room so I asked my mom I was like was my bassinet ever in your room she's like yeah that's where it was right under the window she doesn't remember that there was tassels I'm like they had the like blackout blinds or whatever yeah. pulled down and there was like a ta- like yeah I know exactly what you're describing yeah. so yeah that's my earliest but like I don't know if that's a real memory or not like I don't know what I would consider that to be it's not like anything special it's just like a- to me that makes sense that that would be an earliest memory like my earliest memory is I remember being in a stroller in a salon while my sisters were getting their ears pierced and I think they were like probably eight yeah so I was probably one yep yeah, no. so, like, I could have been, I probably was, like, maybe, you're in a bassinet when you're, like, four months, I'm not, like, not, like, a couple yeah. weeks old, I don't mean like that, but, and, but then, I think, I have some scattered memories, but I remember when I was in kindergarten, and I don't remember the first day of kindergarten, I don't remember, like, that kind of stuff, like, I met, if there's pictures, I remember yeah. things, but, um, I remember my dad took me to school the one day, and so I was three when I started kindergarten, and I think I was three when this happened. And he dropped me off, which he didn't normally because he was normally working. And so I like, was really excited to get in line and be like, oh, my dad dropped me off at school. And I forgot to give him a kiss goodbye. And I didn't remember that until I was inside the building. And so he was gone at that point and I couldn't stop crying. Aww. And so, like, my teachers were like, okay, well, like, what's wrong? I'm like, I didn't kiss my dad goodbye. Like, it makes me laugh now. Like, I didn't kiss my dad goodbye. But so they were like, okay, well, you can help us make the snack for today. And I remember the <laughs> snack was craft dinner. And, like, I got to go in the staff room and, like, <laughs> help make craft dinner. And But, like, I remember my dad was wearing, like, a red flannel shirt. Like, that was, like upset so upsetting to me that I still remember it now and I was it wasn't like a big deal like that kind of stuff happens every day to my kids and I don't think twice of it but it was 
I still remember that. That anxiety and that emotion is so real. Maybe I was scared that he wasn't going to know I loved him or something. Yeah, when you're a kid. When you're a kid, yeah. Saying goodbye and giving the hug is so important. Yeah. So that's like, that's probably my (laughs) earliest. really emotional. (laughs) Yeah. That's like my, probably the earliest that I remember after. I mean, I kind of remember when my sister was born. I would have been 18 months. I just remember going to a room and there was like someone had licorice and I didn't, don't remember seeing my sister. I don't remember. I remember my mom was there and my dad brought me there and someone had licorice. And then that's the memory I have. <laughs> probably like trying to bribe you. Like, yeah. Can I Whereas like the saying, forgetting to kiss my dad goodbye. Like I remember every detail about that. Yeah. I consider that a real memory. Still. That's a trauma actually. That yeah. is trauma. It, it would have been, but it's like, it's a funny trauma now, but yeah. it's, can trauma be funny? I don't know. <laughs> It is for me, I guess. I laugh at trauma all the time. Like, yeah. my sisters and I, when we got together, like, whenever we brought up a trauma, we would just start laughing. Oh, yeah. And it's, I don't know if it's just, like, a nervous reaction, but... It is, but I think it goes to the mentality of, like, you laugh so you don't cry kind of thing. Yeah, like, and it's almost like, it's funny, like, how insane this is. That's how I would choose to be, is I would rather laugh about something. Like, yeah. I take it in the moment as it being a sad thing or traumatic or whatever, and then... I hope that later I can laugh about it, and I do laugh about it. And I think what's so different about today is we've taken so many steps forward in terms of what is and what is not acceptable, and a lot of stigmas are being ended. Mm -hmm. I say that loosely because it's really hard to end stigmas, especially generationally speaking, but I I feel feel like like they've come far. We're becoming more aware of stigmas, and I feel like that's how change will happen once we become aware. Yes, absolutely. Speaking of, you have, um, this is something, I feel like this is a passion of yours, speaking out against certain stigmas. Yes, I'm very opinionated, if that's what you mean. Absolutely. I have a lot of opinions. And and that's wonderful. I, I hate how opinionated is generally used as like a negative term yeah there's often a negative connotation associated with being outspoken or opinionated and that's been my life (laughs) (laughs) and and there (laughs) good podcast (laughs) no but one post that i love that you did and it really reminded me of how horrifying this trauma that i went through was was one Wow, Get the bongo drum. drum. The post you did about seeing pornography as a kid. The sex ed curriculum. Yes. Sorry, the health curriculum. Yes. Well, I say sex ed because that's <laughs> spicy. That gets people listening and their ears are open. Yes. Health curriculum is correct. Yeah. Sex ed is what gets people wound up. And, and that's all. what got right. people so wound up about it. Yes. Um, Tell yeah, us that story. So, I'm a millennial and I'm not apologizing for it. Um, <laughs> way. No, I always but, forget. I'm like, am I a millennial? Of course. Yeah. I always feel like it's the generation under us. Because we were made to feel like that. But, no, we are proud millennials, you and I, and proud Virgos. Yes, we are. Proud 89ers. <laughs> um, too much information. Someone's going to steal our identity. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. I don't remember where we were going. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sex ed curriculum. Health curriculum, if you will. Mm-hmm. There were... We had just... Our government had just rolled out a really good health curriculum. Yeah. And... Because there are people who have 
homophobia, but don't understand they have homophobia. They believe this curriculum, because it was put out by Kathleen Wynne, who is a lesbian, it was going to be perverse. And this, there was a big pushback against this new curriculum. The curriculum hadn't been updated since 1998. And this curriculum was bringing forth things having to do with the internet, internet safety, sexting, a whole bunch of stuff that did not exist in 1998. And so I wrote about it to give some perspective because I was in school in 1998. So the new curriculum didn't cover things that were happening in my life at that time. So in 2000, we had email Mm-hmm. And we had like kids. I had email. I was 11 years old or 12 years old. I had email. We had MSN, which was basically texting in case the younger viewers I know, don't like, know what it is. It's like a I'll chat. Explain it. it was the way you could talk. It was like texting your friends, except it was you had to be on your computer to do it. It's and, like Facebook Messenger. And you could see who was available to text because not you couldn't not everyone was available to text at the time. So yeah. So we would send emails and I got an email and this is again when I'm about 12 years old. This is two years after the quote unquote new health curriculum had rolled out. And this email was called Loppy, I believe, was just the title of it. And when I opened it, it was a girl from who's my age, but from a different school. And it was her topless. Like it was so like a webcam. Were you? I was 12, 11 so or 12. So it was a 12-year-old girl. Yes. So I, that was the first time that I was sent child pornography. And that's kind of what I talked about. That's how I got the interest, I guess, in Mm -hmm. it. Because it's shocking to hear of child pornography, right? And I didn't know what child pornography was at the time. And I was a kid myself. And I just saw the email and I was like, oh my gosh. And I, I deleted it right away. But everyone at school was talking about it. And no one was talking to adults about it. Mm-hmm. I don't think any adults knew it happened. No teachers, not at her school, nowhere. But she was bullied for it. I played basketball and volleyball, and she also played those sports. So whenever we'd go to that school, the other girls would just taunt her. And she was shamed, for sure. Yeah. And the thing that I want to really think about, or the thing that bothered me the most was, why did she take that picture? What made her want to take that picture? Because this was a time when this wasn't something talked about on TV or anything like that. Yeah. So someone was encouraging her to take it. It was a red flag. It was a huge red flag that was missed. And I didn't feel comfortable talking to my parents about it because I thought I'm not going to be allowed to go on the computer ever again. Or I felt like I had done something wrong. And if I had talked to my parents about it, I know my mom would have gone to the school And then I know the school would have gone to her school and I know that they would have gone to her parents. I know that would have happened if I had just spoken up, but I didn't. And so many other kids didn't because they didn't know they didn't have the tools or the resources. So this new health curriculum that had come out, I believe it was 2018 is the year we're talking about now. 20 years later, covered all of this. So I was very excited about this curriculum, but there was a huge pushback. And then when Doug Ford became our premier, wanted to pull it back and peel it back and take it away. And there was a lot of disinformation that was going around about the curriculum because I read the curriculum and it was very much age inappropriate. So I wrote this as a like, please don't take away this curriculum because what the plan was and what Doug Ford did was he put the 1998 curriculum back in place Mm -hmm. until his curriculum was created and his curriculum that he created ended up being identical to the original. So yeah. That was really frustrating, but it was it's good because it's back in place and the kids are getting the information they need. But th- I think the whole takeaway from that is how 
homophobic our society was here in that they were like, no, we can't let Kathleen win, as if she's the one writing it, too. And all of the misinformation was saying um, things that would relate to homosexuality. Like, oh, they're teaching kids about anal sex. Yes. That is it not was. the case. It was. And so that was, it was very much driven by that yeah. fear and that homophobia. We're trying and... to normalize um, homosexuality. Well, yeah. <laughs> we yes. live in a world where people are yes. gay. <laughs> we live in a world where humans should have the same you know, rights. My my kids' friends might have two dads. That's just it. That's just, That's it. just a reality. Yeah. Why do we have to be afraid of that yeah that's the world we live in and that's okay so i shared that and it i shared my story of what happened and why i felt so strongly that this curriculum needed to stay in place and i didn't tell my mom so she read it and that was the first she heard about it and she felt like she failed me in some sense well your mom didn't isn't she pretty like um powerful and like outgoing she's not very outgoing, opinionated like, as well and very outspoken isn't she like a fighter like won't she she's fight a fighter yes so she felt like yeah she felt she had failed me and i think she was disturbed that it of had course. happened yeah and that i kept that to myself and and i really did i just kind of tucked that away yeah and it wasn't until the curriculum came out that i was like oh it doesn't cover these things like that was only two years. Yeah. Like um, the new curriculum that I had didn't cover those things. So they were already way behind then. And I think the biggest thing I th I've said that probably five times, the biggest thing, but <laughs> what's I the biggest thing? <laughs> <laughs> the biggest thing was, you know, you don't know when your child is going to get into things. You don't know when they're going to be exposed to things. You aren't in control of that at all. So I think the best is to let people who are professionals or at the top of their field that know these things teach them these things Absolutely. or at least allow their resources to be available because yes i don't know when my kids will be sent this i hope they never are sent yeah. photos of their peers nude photos of their peers and i hope that if they do get sent those they know what to do they know who to go to and they feel comfortable because that wasn't something we were comfortable with back then yeah When I was in elementary school, I believed I could do anything. I had such good teachers and I felt like they all believed in me and I felt special. Like they really did make me feel special. And I have such a soft spot for elementary school. Like that is, I didn't want to grow up. I didn't want to get older. And I went to high school. High school was fine. I I look at, I so I Marie Kondoed my house as everyone did a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like in the basement and I'm like going through all my stuff and I see my yearbooks and I'm reading my grade nine yearbook and everyone's just like, you're so annoying. And like same as grade eight. It's like <laughs> annoying. That's the word that I got in my yearbook a lot. And I was like, oh my gosh, it like stung a lot to read that as an adult. I don't That's remember horrible. it. Who would write that? Was Everything. it like a joke? I Maybe. It's because I was very obnoxious. Oh my gosh. And so I'm like reading this and I'm like, oh my gosh. And I'm looking through all the clubs and all the activities and I'm like, why didn't I do that? I would have loved that. Or like, why didn't I? Yeah. And in high school, I did not feel like my teachers believed in me at all. Yeah. I was pretty, which is not something I would have said back then, but I feel confident saying now that I was beautiful and I was loud and funny and silly. Mm -hmm. And people kind of judge you when you are funny and beautiful. 
People judge Girl, you no matter what you are. That is the story of my life. Story of your autobiography. <laughs> no, it's I don't very know. true though. I was kind of put in a hole. Like I couldn't be good at writing. I'm good at being funny, or yeah. I'm good at looking good. Like yeah. that's kind of I think what people thought of me. And like my very best friend, so I've had my best friend since kindergarten. She went to the same high school as me, but we were in none of the same classes. They didn't put us in Aww. any of the same classes. So I was very much alone. And, and I look at myself in grade nine and I'm like, oh, I was so alone. Like I really was. But so I see all these annoying, like that's what it said in my yearbook and stuff. And and I looked at some report cards and, you know, they just, teachers just kind of pump out like the same, like yeah. kind of Blaine is encouraged to study more for tests or Kelly's encouraged to stop being so social and like it was mostly stop being so social yeah but then there was one that I read and he was our phys ed teacher but he was he also taught like anatomy and exercise and science really really great teacher everyone that ever went to our school adored him and he really pushed people to do better and work harder and his name was Mr. Yap I'll name names I love naming names and it's okay to say like one name like a last name like, I won't give his address. Okay. Yeah. I don't know his address. <laughs> his blood type, though. Yeah. His sin. Okay. <laughs> so, Mr. Yap, I read this. He wrote, he wrote like a, it wasn't a standard. And I was like, oh, what did he write? This is, again, me in my basement after I've Marie Kondoed. And I'm like, what did Mr. Yap, what did he say? And it said, Kathleen is a very capable student. And I'm like, that's nice. I was like, I never felt like I was capable. No one made me feel like I was capable. Inconsistency always hinders reaching true potential. Work always to leave no doubt that you did your beat. Because he accidentally put beat instead of best, which I find very (laughs) ironic. (laughs) Oh my gosh, read it again, read it again. Kathleen is a very capable student. Inconsistency always hinders reaching true potential. Work always to leave no doubt that you did your beat, Kathleen. (laughs) (laughs) Unless he did it on purpose. He didn't. Oh, my gosh. I should find him and tell him because he was like, so, like, we had to know every bone and muscle in the body and, like, know how to spell it. And if we had one letter wrong, it was wrong. So I want to just be like, your report card's wrong because you you put try your beast instead. Or try your beat. beat. Oh, that's but, hilarious. So I read that and I was like, so this is me in like 2018 reading this. And I'm like, this was the answer to my life. Aww. So many things. I never worked so that I... Because like doing your best doesn't mean you are the best at something. Yeah. But did I work so hard that like I could say that I'd done my best? Never. I never yeah. did. I always did the bare minimum. And I, I was inconsistent. And so I was like, I want to do this what he has said I want to do this more in my life and I I had to do there was a point where I was like I'm doing this I'm testing this to see if this is true and so I had a stand-up show Mm -hmm. and (laughs) so okay I got tricked into doing stand-up comedy I had a friend that she's like do you want to do this comedy writing class with me in Toronto and I was like yeah, that sounds fun. I mean, driving to Toronto was kind of anxiety-inducing for me because I don't like driving in Toronto. But it was once a week, and my dad had just died, and it was actually she drove me home after his funeral because I stayed in town for a bit, and then she drove me home. And she was like, do you want to sign up for this class? And I was like, I need to start living my life. Mm-hmm. I can't keep saying I'm going to do things when the kids are older or 
some other time because I might not have another time. So I was like, okay. So I signed up that night so that I couldn't change my mind. And I was like, what is the harm in doing a comedy writing class? Well, the first class, so our teacher, she was a writer for a sketch show called Baroness Fun Sketch, which is a Canadian show, and it's hilarious. And so she was our teacher. And she's like, she told us what our homework was going to be for that week. And we had to come to class with like one bit idea. And I don't really, I didn't know a lot about stand-up comedy at that time. I didn't enjoy watching stand-up comedy. I didn't, it wasn't something, like my husband loves stand-up. He would go to stand-up all the time. So I had a bit that I was supposed to come with and I thought we were just going to kind of brainstorm on it and work on it. But no, you have to go up to the front of the class and like in front of the microphone and, (laughs) and say your bit. And Oh, that was that put me out of my comfort zone big time. But I had my friend with me. Oh, and my friend was in the class, so I was like, okay, I can do this. I've driven to Toronto. That was step one. I've done that. And so we kept every week I would come and I'd have to go up to the microphone and give my new material in front of everyone and they would critique it, which no one likes getting critiqued. I mean, yeah. you do, because you learn from critiques, but and then it doesn't feel good enough. No, moment, you don't want to be critiqued. You want to be perfect, but that's not how you get to be perfect. So then our teacher's like, okay, your recital, your stand up show is on this date. And where I'm like, our what? Like, I didn't know there was going to be a big show that we had to do. This isn't, again, in Toronto. This is at Comedy Bar Toronto, which when everything opens, I hope everyone goes back to Comedy Bar because it's a great place for comedy. Oh so then I'm like, okay. So I, I, do the stand-up show and I'm so nervous. We have a rehearsal with the other class who we don't know and they're watching and I go up to do my rehearsal and I bomb. Mm. I just forgot everything and it didn't come to me. My brain was frozen and it was horrible. And Did that happen to anyone else during the time? I don't think so. No. So then you're feeling like... So I really was like... Yeah. So I couldn't, I didn't really have fun that night because I was so worried I was going to screw up in front of everyone, which was like a packed room at the at Comedy Bar. And it was the main stage. It wasn't even the cabaret room. So I, the entire time after I bombed until the show, I just wrote out my lines like nonstop. Like I wrote out my entire five minute, it was just five minutes. Five minutes is a long time though yes. when you're up there trying to make people laugh. That's a long Absolutely. time. Absolutely. So... I got through my thing. I didn't screw up, but I was so tense. I didn't have fun. I didn't have nothing. And I was like, you know what? I'm never doing this again. I never want to do this again. I thought I was going to throw up. Like, it was a lot. But I had great laughs. Like, I had a great experience, but I wasn't there Mm -hmm. because I hadn't prepared myself the way that I should have. I hadn't worked hard the way Mr. Yap said, you know, like it's, and, I, and so it was like, I think you didn't was, do your beat. I didn't do my beat. <laughs> I didn't work hard to do my beat. So I went home and that's when I found, it was like only a couple of days later that I found the report card. And I was like, oh, and then my teacher was like, hey, do you want to do another show? Like I've got a spot in my show, which was a big deal to be asked to do a spot in her show. And I was like, no like my gut was no don't do this and then my friend Lindsay, and this is a this is one of the major learning points in my life i've had several in the last few years that i'm just like this is a moment and she said you owe it to yourself to at least try this again because you've done this work to get here you have this material and it's all fresh still she's like you owe it to yourself to just do this for a certain amount of time however long you want but it's still so new and i was like okay if i'm going to do this i need to be consistent so i need to practice three times every single day until the show 
I'm like, that's what, 15 minutes? I can give myself 15 minutes yeah. a day to do this because I'm trying to do what Mr. Yap said because he said, if I just do this, like, I'm not going to let my inconsistency hinder me anymore. So I did. I and it's hard practicing. Like, you're talking to yourself and trying to be funny. And it's like, oh. <laughs> and, like, sometimes I would, I had my hairbrush. I always use my hairbrush as my microphone. And I would try and get Brad to come in. And he would sit there. But then I would just get too silly with him there. And it was it was something. <laughs> Did you ever do it in front of the mirror? Like, watch No. Yourself? But I would, like, stand and, like, because you're supposed to try and move. You're right. not supposed to stand. And, like, I'm a plant myself. Like, some people pace when they're on the phone. But that is not me. I'm, like, a stand one spot person. <laughs> So I had to try and, like, get comfortable moving even. And something that's really hard about stand-up is not rolling over your jokes because you don't know what people are going to laugh at. Yeah. And when you're nervous, you just try and get it all out. And you don't yeah. you don't play off of the momentum or the environment. And it's really important that you do that. So, so I'm practicing, and there's no audience, of course. So I'm just guessing what they're going to laugh at. And so the day comes to do the show, to do this one, this next show, and... And I brought the house down, I'll say, okay, <laughs> like, whatever you want to call it. I nailed it, and it felt so good. It was a completely different experience, and I couldn't sleep that night. I was on a high. It was a literally, I was on a high. Yeah. And my teacher had actually emailed me, and she's like, I hope you ride this high out all night. And I was like, Aww. that's a thing. And, like, we talked about that after, and she's like, oh, yeah. She's like, when you have a good show, when you, like, interact with the audience and, like, you give to them, they give back, that's a real thing, and it's a real high. And it's, yeah. and I was like, I, it was one of the best moments, I think, not in my life, maybe in my life, it yeah, must have been. I, I was really proud of myself because, one, I applied this knowledge that I had, that I'd had this whole time, but never took it in and and I listened to my friend I listened to my counsel I think that's a big problem I've had in my life is not listening and it's just listening to myself and so I listened to my friend too and I I would have robbed myself of that moment if I had just given up when I I didn't fail I got through the stand-up that first time but it wasn't fun it wasn't a real example of doing a show it was I wasn't prepared and so doing that show prepared was, it was something I'll never forget. I'll never forget that feeling after that show. And I did it several more times after. The only reason I've stopped is because of COVID, really. But I watched um, one of your stand-ups, and it was hilarious. <laughs> and I was so nervous because I do watch I, a lot of stand-up. Yes. Yeah. I grew up watching stand-up, so it, I don't know. I know good stand-up and I know bad stand-up. And when you sent it, I was like, oh, I hope yeah. it's good. I hope it's good. And I was like, oh, what a relief that I could honestly write back and be like, yeah, that was hilarious. <laughs> and I always think about it. like, And that's how you know that it's good when you remember these jokes. Yes. Like the Costco. Yep. And I remember the... Um, <laughs> Your list. Should I get? <laughs> yes. Okay. I'll give a little sample of give a, little a bit. Sample. I'm not going to give you my bit. I'm just going to give you the gist of a bit. Oh, hold on. It, here's a premise. I'll give you a premise. Okay. So one of my one of my bits is my son. I drop I drop him off at school, and he wanted to know why I didn't kiss him on the lips because all the other parents kiss their kids on the lips, and I'm just like, oh, well, we're not lip kissers like we don't do that i don't know why i don't like some families do it's not i'm not one of those families brad's family's not one of those families we're not lip kissers but i kiss my cat on the lips and 
and I'm scared that my son's gonna know I do. <laughs> Maybe be offended that I don't kiss him on the lips. Uh, yeah, that so that's is like good. one that's of my good. that's one of my bits. It's a uh, it's better obviously when I'm performing it, but yeah. just. Just a little. It's a solid a set you have. It's a solid set. It's a good set. It's a fun set. And, oh, yes. So the thing about stand-up, so here's the other thing. I'm like, I knew I was funny. I've always known. No, I have not always known I'm funny. But, but from once an I, early age, you knew that I knew I loved make to make people laugh. That's and it. You loved it. Yeah. I knew I loved making people laugh. And, I was like, yeah, and so since doing stand up, I've obviously watched a lot more stand up. Mm-hmm. I know a little bit more about like the roots. And when I think about who made who I loved growing up, who I thought were the funniest people ever. Um, so I watched Sabrina. So Caroline Ray. Oh. She's hilarious. Great. And like, I yeah. didn't know she was a comedian. Like, I didn't, but I was, as a kid, I'm like, oh, she's so funny. She's obviously one of the people who I. Did you see her at the roast of. Oh, I want to say Rob Lowe. No, I haven't watched a lot of roasts. It wasn't Rob Lowe. But I want to know who it is. The roast of Alec Baldwin. Oh, she my gosh. She killed. I love her. Yeah, I just she's love great. her. So, like, that was a Mr. Bean. Oh my! I was a big Mr. Bean fan. Yes, and my mom is a storyteller. She's always and everyone's always thought my mom's hilarious. And then my dad, he has more of like a slapstick vibe, which is where why I love Mr. Bean. My dad and I would watch Mr. (laughs) Bean, but my mom and I would watch Sabrina. And oh, that's that's great. That's like I yeah, I always just wanted to make everyone laugh, and I was probably the class clown. Maybe that's why you were annoying. (laughs) It is. I'm sure that it is. I'm sure that it is why everyone thought I was annoying. I was annoying. There's nothing wrong with being annoying. There was a guy in one of my photo groups and he would post these gorgeous photos and then he would have like just this crazy weird caption and it bugged me and I thought he was so annoying. And then I was having a really hard day and I read he posted this one post and I was like, he's not annoying. He's I'm going to cry thinking about this. Like he's not annoying. He's like bringing our community together. He's like he's fun and he's light and he's giving us something to talk about together and he's giving us something to laugh about together yeah and it was just my perspective obviously is what shifted well that's what i was gonna say what is annoying really there's no i mean i'm sure there is a dictionary definition but like i find certain things annoying that other people love yes oh for sure so and it's yeah it's all about perspective too I didn't really go to my parents to talk about much. I just, we had laughs. We always were laughing. My parents had different senses of humor and I had both their sense of humor and we would just laugh and we would watch our shows or our movies. We had a pool growing up. That's where I spent a lot of my time, as much time as I could. I was always in the pool and my dad, my mom wouldn't go in the pool. My dad would. So I was close with my mom in the everyday stuff we always said, I love you. If we got off the phone, if she dropped me off at school, we could have just had a huge fight. And I'd be like, bye, love you. Always. We always said it. And same with my dad. We always said we loved each other. And he was, he taught me how to drive. He taught all of us how to drive because he had a special license where he could do right. that training. And that's like his love, right? Like obviously yep. automobiles. So he taught us all how to drive. And when one day he was teaching me to drive, we were at a four-way it was an intersection. It was a red light. And the light turned green and I started to go. 
and the car approaching us cut me off to try and like turn before there was not an advanced green, but they would decided to turn in front. And I, I stopped the car and he's like, that was really good. And then we looked and it was my mom that was driving <laughs> and she was the one that cut me off. And it doesn't surprise me at all. I think she'll deny that story, but my dad and I talked about that story a lot. After. That's hilarious. Like, when did he get sick? So my dad, after he started back at work, after he retired the first time, I was working. I had just got a job, my second job as a law clerk. And it was also in the Welland area. So we were commuting together every morning and then we would drive home together. That was another bonding experience, actually. Mm -hmm. And so eventually I didn't work there. I moved out. Even when I moved out, we would still carpool together. So this is about, I'm about 20 now. And then I I got into a really bad car accident. That was in 2013. That was 2013. So this is about that time. So my dad is still working and I stopped working there. And and he he kept working there. And I he kept he loved work. He loved it. He loved his routine and he loved his work. And I remember asking him, when are you going to retire? Like, why aren't you retired yet? You need to retire. And he was like, no, no. He's like, if I keep working um then we can help you kids out with stuff and I was like we don't need you to do that but he wanted to that was what he wanted to do and and so he just kept working and in about 2017 my mom was like your dad's just so tired I'm like well he's old he needs to retire like I say old loosely like I mean he's older he's in his late 60s he really should retire Mm -hmm. but he loved his job and he was making a difference there he was making a difference in that city and so my mom eventually was like okay your dad's gonna retire he's gonna retire and we're like okay and I remember I was on the phone with her and she's like he's gonna retire this day I'm like well has he told them and she's like no and I'm like well let's throw him a party and so I just made invitations to a retirement party (laughs) and like and because I did that. Then he's like, okay, I guess I have to actually, like, (laughs) do this. Like, I, like, ordered on Vistaprint (laughs) invitations with my mom. Like, we were scheming. And so he retired. And he, he was so excited to retire. He, but he didn't know what to do with himself because he had worked so hard his entire life. He had, his dad was in the war, in World War II. And he came home with what we know as PTSD, but at that time, there was no name for it, really. And he had substance abuse issues, alcoholism. And so his dad would drink away the paycheck, basically. And his mom was a very hard worker. She had a very good reputation at the post office. And she worked her little butt off. <laughs> and not only that, she was a real Catholic, I want to say. I don't know a ton about the religion, but she would make food for others constantly. She did the Meals on Wheels, even though she was, like, old herself. I say old. Is that offensive to call people old? I don't know. But, like, she was giving it to people younger than her. She was delivering the meals, and, like, she was... She was a strength, you could say. So my dad was the oldest of the boys in his family, and so he worked at a young age. And, like, he helped build... Or he was one of his jobs was on the Welland Canal, which is where he ended up retiring. So, anyways, and he would tell me that because we would, you know, carpool to work. Of course, it's crazy. It's 
it's special time i think at that time so so he 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 just couldn't believe it was over like work like he couldn't believe he was at that point in of his life even so i remember the night before his we threw this huge retirement party for him like a huge party it was at the church and it was packed with all his friends from work and family there's we have a big family right so there was a lot of just family and and it was the night before I was making this big balloon arch because I was like, I can go on Pinterest and make this. And so I was making this balloon arch and he was just sitting there and just with this big smile on his face, like he couldn't believe it. he's like, he had this stack of cash. And I'm like, what is that? He's like, this is from everybody at work. And I'm like, what the heck? Like, why did they do this? He's like, they all chipped in for my retirement. And I'm like, oh, like... I guess that's what people do. I wouldn't do. I'd be like, they're retired. They don't need this. <laughs> but it was like, it was a big wad of cash. And he was just like, he couldn't believe that they would do that for him even. Like he was the boss and like, you don't always get along with everyone. And so it was a really nice send off he had at his work. And then we had this huge party for him. And we, each of us kids spoke and he was just in his glory. It was just the best day. He talked about that day, like every day after it. And and I, after we all said our speeches, in my heart, I was like, this feels like a funeral. Like, this feels like we're saying goodbye to him. And it was strange for me. But it was, again, just a perfect day for him. And it was, like I said, he would talk. My mom was like, he would just, before we'd go to bed, sometimes he'd be like, that party was just great. Like, weeks and weeks after this. So the reason that my mom really wanted him to retire was because he was getting tired and she was concerned. And he'd been to the doctor a few times, but they didn't seem to think anything was wrong. And eventually he started having blood in his urine, which is a is a big indicator that you may have some kidney issues. And then he also noticed like thread-like substance in his urine. I'm saying this because I think it's important Absolutely. for yeah. people to know because he didn't know that those were concerning signs. Those are signs of cancer. It doesn't mean that that's what it is, but they are signs of cancer. So you should always go to your doctor and have that checked out. So he went to his doctor and then it was like, okay, I'll send you to a specialist that'll take this long and blah, blah, blah. It's it's, yeah. it's dragged out. So that was in April and he retired or maybe that was, that was in March. And then in April, he retired at the end of April. And then in May he ended up having to have a kidney removed because they noticed a tumor on his kidney. But no one is saying the cancer word at this point. It's just, we're going to get rid of this tumor. You also, We also have to remove the kidney and then you should be functioning fine. So everything that could go wrong ended up going wrong with this. And he ended up in the hospital longer and he just wasn't getting relief and he was in a lot of pain. And so they ended up looking and they noticed a blood clot the size of a football where his kidney had been. And so they're like, okay, well now we have to remove that. And I remember him just being so worried about that. And he, I went to be with my mom because she didn't want to be alone. So I remember I went down and I remember him being stressed out and I'd never really seen my dad stressed out. And he, he wanted to pray a lot. And he, and I was like, what are you praying for? Like, he, there's nothing to worry about. But obviously I don't say that to him, but in my head, I'm like, yeah. you know, I, I didn't think it was going to be that serious or anything. And so the surgery ended up being so long 
it was much longer than it was supposed to be. And then, and my mom's like, it's not good. I know it's not good. And she was like, this isn't good. And so I go down with her to meet the doctor after the surgery. And, and the doctor is like, so we got it all, but it just took a lot longer than we thought because it, this blood clot was really stuck. Well, it wasn't a blood clot. It was another tumor. And I think she knew that, but I think she didn't want to tell us because she wasn't his doctor she was filling in. And within a week, it had fully grown back. We went to Stobel and he was so happy to be there, but he was in so much pain. He just was really uncomfortable. I think he had like a, a catheter. He had some sort of bag that he had to like have on his body the whole time. And he, he couldn't swim. There were things he couldn't do. He couldn't do a lot of anything really. So anyways, he ended up getting really sick after we left the cottage. He, so then he ended up leaving the cottage as well. And they went to the hospital and that's when they were like, he needs chemo. He needs, we need to get on this because this is a really aggressive form of cancer that he has. And so we were like, okay. So he goes in to get his treatment which was he was just going to the hospital to get the treatment and then he was going to come home. And when he got there, they were like, we're not going to give you chemo because this is a really, a really extreme case. There's only one other person in the world that has this that's alive right now. And you're not leaving the hospital, basically. So before he had the chemo, I was really scared that it was going to be the last time we'd talk to him. The chemo was two days after we found out he had the terminal cancer and I was like I'm not gonna be he's not gonna be there because I know how exhausting it can be yeah. and I know how sick it can make you and so I just had this urgency I was like I just have to talk to him about everything and like so I like marched into his room the one time like me and my sisters we were in the waiting room at the hospital like they had this waiting room and we would just kind of hang out because it would get really loud and my dad did not like noise much at all <laughs> it really you got annoying <laughs> oh yeah if, if I annoyed the person I annoyed the most is probably my dad like <laughs> I'm not even kidding because I knew I was bugging him I was getting the reaction right like my sister yeah. and I would clap in the car and that drove oh, him nuts gosh. so yeah, the sound. So I was like, I'm going to go in first. And I, and then there, we were all going to take turns talking to him before he had to have that. So I go in and he's watching TV and like he was a TV guy. And that's I was yeah. a big TV person myself. So anyways, he was watching TV and I'm like, Dad, I was like, I like I just have a lot I have to say. And I'm like, and I just need to say it. And I, I start going. And before I can even get anything out, I'm just like bawling. Right. Because I'm like. I don't know. I just was. It was emotional. And he's like looking at me very concerned. He's not crying. He's just like concerned. And then he just like, boop, turns the TV off. He's like, I guess I should turn this off. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And my siblings, they laugh so hard at that because they're like, that's a big deal. They're like, I'm proud of dad that he turned the TV off. Like he's grown. Like okay. it was good. It was a good moment. <laughs> It was a good moment um, for him. It was good. Like, we were like, okay, family comes first. And that's always what we were taught is family comes first. But we know how important TV was to him, too. So, <laughs> so he boops the TV off. And then and I was just like, I just have all these things I want to do. And I, I haven't done any of them. And, and I just, 
I want you to know about them and I don't know what to do. It was basically I wanted some advice from him because he's the person that. So if we ever had a job interview, he would interview us. He would do that with us. He would practice. He, he knew he would hire people all the time. So he knew and he took classes and courses on this as well, management stuff. So so he's someone that you would 100% go to for advice. It was I would send Brad to him for advice with his job and and that type of thing. So I was like, I, I want to write more. I really like writing. I want to be involved in politics. I want to do comedy. I was like, it was stupid sounding like, I want to be in politics and I want to do comedy and I want to write. It was like, okay. And I thought he would just think it was silly because I had gone to school for none of those things. I have done nothing to make those things happen. And he was just like, well, you have to make a list. He's like, you have to write them down. He's like, you can't do everything all at once. He's like, so you just figure out where you're going to start. And then you keep moving that way. And I was like, oh, he didn't think this was silly. And like, he took it very seriously what I was saying, even though I felt like I sounded like a silly, crazy person. Just yeah, like a little girl on Santa's lap or something. Yeah, like, I don't know. And, and then, and then what came out was what I think I've felt all the time. And I think what I still feel now is that I just want to make my parents proud. And I feel like I could never do that because I'll never be able to say that the church is true. Because I'll never... It doesn't matter how much success I have. If I can't be an active member of their church and share that belief, I feel like I will fail them. And, and I said that to him. And he was like, you're not a fail. You, you, I would never, you know, he says the dad response that dads say, or I should say good dads say, which is, you know, I'll always be proud of you. I'm so proud of you. But it was hard because it was hard because he wasn't going to be there to see me do what I still had to do, what I wanted to do, all those things. So I took in what he said and he, and he was like, I'm so proud of you. He's like, and you know, we talked about getting married in the temple, which is a big thing in the LDS faith. And he acknowledged, you know, getting married in the temple doesn't mean you're getting, you have a good marriage. And he was like, you have a very good marriage. And he talked about Brad and how he loves Brad and how he loves us together and even though Brad did not ask his permission to marry <laughs> me which my dad was fine with my mom was not <laughs> Brad thought that was sexist he was probably right <laughs> but yeah it was it was something that I I would not have had a conversation about if I wasn't kind of forced into it in that moment I I wasn't even aware of it until that moment. And if he hadn't passed away, I wouldn't have had that conversation. If he had passed away at, at old age, you know, that wouldn't have come up even. It was, I think, only because... I don't really know why. Like there was that urgency. Yeah, there was that urgency and that realization. I don't, I don't think I would have come to that realization if it wasn't then. Yeah. And... And it was nice to hear him say that, mm -hmm. even though I still don't fully believe it, 
I he said it and I need to that's on me to kind of accept because my dad is not a liar so I need to accept that he said that that's true for him and and I need to accept that truth as well but we had that talk and and then like I said I would come every day and so I would just listen to him I just wanted to be with him if he just wanted to watch tv I would just you know, color or read or whatever. We we had a we did a lot of coloring as a family there. We would set up camp on the floor in the hospital and which is gross, but <laughs> we we did what we had to do to be together and and I didn't like how they treated him at the hospital. And he was a very good patient to have. He never ever wanted to put anyone out. He didn't like the nurses having to do a thing. And so he would often get us to do things. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to change this tube. Like, I don't think I should. And, uh, but I went. And the nurses actually were like, it's okay if you do that. Just make sure, like, it doesn't touch you at all. And, like, yeah. it's just certain things. And But then there were some nurses that were like, the world doesn't revolve around you. Like, he would need something. And then they would just treat him poorly. And I'm like, you have no idea. Or, like, they would try to confine him to the bed. Like, he wasn't outside. He was a big outdoors person. He Before he was a member... He would still go to all the scout camps with my brother. He loved doing that. He loved portaging. He loved doing all that stuff. So I was devastated that he couldn't get outside. And every day they'd be like, maybe tomorrow. But like they were trying to like, they wouldn't even let him get up to go to the bathroom. And so I didn't like that. I didn't like that they were like constricting him because we knew he was dying. But like that doesn't mean he had to like be stuck in a bed forever. The doctor came and, and after everyone said what they had to say, I'm like, I want him to go outside. It was like he hasn't been able to go outside. You couldn't open windows. And it was summer. It was like really nice out. And he's like, well, he should be. I'm like, well, no one is letting him. How do we make this happen? Like, and I wouldn't let any answer go. And I'm like, so what do we do to make that happen? He's like, oh, well, you just talked to the nurses. I'm like, and what do I say to them? Like, I was just like very specific. Being annoying. And I'm like, and you're going to write that down right in your notes so that when the nurses look, there's a notes. Like, I wasn't taking no for an answer yeah. on that at all. And so. Well, good for you. First well, of all. that's just it. And so that, even that, trying to advocate for my dad, that was a strange shift because that was my dad's role was advocating for me. And now I'm trying to advocate for him. And he was trying to get me to be quiet, too. He's like, Kathleen, it's OK. I'm like, you need to get outside. I was like, so it's not OK. Yeah. I was like, you are allowed to go outside. So let's make this happen. But but yeah, so it, that was a hard shift. And then seeing him deteriorate the way he deteriorated at the hospital, because eventually he couldn't get up to go to the washroom, but it was only because they they forced him, basically. Yeah. They didn't let him use his body, and so then he couldn't use his body. So I watched my dad every day. I watched his health deteriorate, and that was really hard to see because my dad was always someone that was a very strong person mentally emotionally physically all of that so to see him lose all of that and also just kind of not be able to do anything but lay in a bed it was like a baby right like that's what babies do they just lay in a bed and and I didn't like that I didn't like seeing that and I didn't like seeing it happen so fast but what I think was harder than that was knowing that as my dad died part of my childhood was also dying like the childhood magic if you will I didn't want to let that go and I didn't like that and I get that that's you know we have 
a lack of nurses and Mm -hmm. they're in charge of a lot of people and I don't mean any disrespect to our nurses because our nurses work so hard it just was not good for my dad's quality of life and I I knew nothing was going to save him I knew you know that this was something that had to happen but I didn't realize that we would get a miracle and the miracle was he got into hospice and so it's very hard to get into hospice hospice Niagara is where he was and they just only have so much room and I didn't know it was very hard to get in there but my dad was accepted in somehow. I still really, really do. And that's the miracle of it is we don't know how that happened. That's the miracle. Um, but it was just a life change, even though, I don't know. I When I say that, it makes me laugh because we're talking about death. But mm-hmm. death is life and life is death. And it's when he arrived, he just, he couldn't believe that his life mattered still even because like it's ending so why are we going to waste on him that was his mentality and like they were like what do you want to eat for dinner we make you anything you want do you want a sundae right now an ice cream sundae and he's like yeah they're like okay (laughs) so they just make him an ice cream sundae and like they're like you want to go outside say the word we've got this special wheelchair do you want to have a bath we've got this special bath and like they had everything and this is free hospice Niagara. It did not cost us any money to be there. And not only that. So I told you I was driving every day. So this was about a 45 minute drive for me every day to come see my dad and just there. And then 45 minutes back plus $20 to park every single day at the hospital, at the hospital plus internet, Mm -hmm. Wi-Fi plus TV for my dad, plus everything. There were a lot of expenses that was something, and there were people that sent money. And I'm like, why would someone send money? Because there's all these expenses. And that's something I only know because of my experience. So if I know someone that's going through that, I know I'm just e-transferring them. Yeah. I don't care because, or send cash or whatever, because that's something you don't really think about. Plus, you're not at home, so there's food, right? And buying food. So now we're at hospice and the parking's free and the internet's free and the TV's free. Wow. And like all these things are just free. And, well, and I say free, but it's fundraised and yeah. some government subsidies. So so he's there now and he gets to go outside and we don't have to, like, feel bad about asking the nurses for anything because they just are already coming to check on him regularly and they also just want you to call. Yeah. And it was just a different experience and he couldn't even believe it himself. He asked us if we had anyone we wanted to say hi to because he was making a list like the people that he was going to say hi to when he passed away. And he had a literal piece of paper and he wrote down the names on it. And and that was just him because he just couldn't stop working. Like he was like, I have work to do there, too. So I think he was asking us to be like, do you believe in this? And if you do, then just tell me because I'll say hi to them and like I'll check on them. And he actually... He had a co-worker that, um, that his daughter had committed suicide while he was working for my dad. And he, I remember he came to the hospital and he was like, Alf, I need you 
to find my daughter and make sure she's okay and she knows that we love her. And that broke my heart. Yeah. But because that man asked him, he was like, I know that's like literally what hmm. sparked it for him. <sighs> I don't want to be crying so much. Hang on. Okay. I know that when that man asked him that, that my dad wasn't just being like, yeah, sure, okay, whatever. Yeah. Like, I know that's, like, maybe he hugged his mom and his dad and then was like, okay, I gotta go. Like, I gotta go check on someone. <laughs> like, I know that's the first thing he did. Like, yeah. And so, yeah, he made an actual list and... And I was like, do you have so-and-so on there? And I'm like, who has everyone said already? Like, I don't know, is there anyone left? Like, it wasn't just, like, a couple people. It was like, he had a list. And I'm like, well, you can't take that list with you, but... Yeah. <laughs> but he was maybe he was writing it down, so he remembered. But And so we told him a couple people that we wanted him to kind of check on or say hi to. And, and I love that idea. I love that that was what he wanted to do. And, and so, and he would tell us, you know, we talked a lot about the afterlife. And I know some of what I talked about with him, he probably thought was a little, like, kooky, especially, like, with the religion. I was like, because, like, I've gone to psychics before, and I've, you know, they say stuff. And I don't know. I think he thought some of my stuff was like, "Mm, no, but (laughs) he was very polite about taking it in. And But we were able to have those open conversations about what we believe without judgment. And... You know, it's funny. One thing that I think he found a lot of comfort in was the James Corden interview with Paul McCartney. So the carpool karaoke. Yes. He loved that. And he talked about that. And he was like, when you watch, you know, like he talked about when Paul McCartney had that dream and it was his mother. And that was where Let It Be came from. Yeah. Was it Let It Be? It was Let It Be. Yeah. Yeah. And when James Corden said, like, do you think she's still around? And he was like, yeah, I do. And my dad, that for some reason was very comforting to him. And he was like, did you hear that? And I was like, yes, I heard that part because I had watched it as well. Mm-hmm. And then when we were at hospice, it actually, that episode came on TV and we watched it together. But it was funny because we had already been talking about it beforehand. But just those little things. I think he was looking, he never, there was never any doubt in his mind about the afterlife. He was never scared. He never showed us he was scared ever. And I appreciated that. He never got mad or angry about what was happening. He was never mad or angry that this is where his life led him. He was just so strong. And it would have been so hard on me if he wasn't that way. And a lot of people aren't that way. A lot of people are angry and sad and that's okay it's okay to feel that way I feel like I would be angry I would be mad and he's just I guess a good example of like adapt and he adapted to the situation and maybe maybe he would have been mad but we never really gave him space (laughs) he was never alone and sometimes some people will be like maybe he needs to sleep and we're like yeah he'll be doing a lot of that soon (laughs) like you know yeah so would he laugh yeah, he would laugh and he he started to get really casual. So he loved seeing all the bus drivers. So like a lot of bus drivers would come through to talk to him and they would talk about the old days and like he just that's what he loved was buses and the bus community and just I don't know. It was not 
we did not love talking about that, but it was interesting to see how important that was to yeah. him. It was not, he was not passionate about driving a bus, mm-hmm. but he turned that job into a passion. It's like, you know, if you find a job you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Well, that's crap. But my dad did a job and then he made it into something enjoyable for him. It was like, sometimes you just have to do that. Sometimes you don't get to just choose. Part of it's on you, I think. So. Yeah. So he enjoyed talking to all the old and he had some old friends come through. So he his Aww. high school group was very close. I think I think a lot of high school groups from that time period, like 50s, 60s, 70s, they stay close because that's yeah. who you know. And and they would come through and talk. And he loved talking about his football days. That was something he loved talking about. And he loved talking about his parents. Parents, buses, football, high school. <laughs> That's what he talked about. And so it was that was interesting for me to see and hear. And some of the stories he told over and over again, and I didn't care. I was just like, I'll listen. Yeah. I'll listen to those stories. I recorded some. but Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I recorded some. And so at hospice, it's just a beautiful environment. It's a calm environment. And I, and maybe it was because it was summer. It was like extra, extra nice. I don't know. Cause they have all these flowers and the windows are open. And then mm. there's, there's like the butterflies. Cause they have all the, the flowers that attract the butterflies and the hummingbirds. And there's the bird feeders all outside the windows. Beautiful. And it is beautiful. And they're, the people that work there are beautiful people. And you can just step outside if you want. You don't have to get on elevators to go anywhere. And you just, it's, it was just such a difference. And every day, like I said, he deteriorated a little bit more. And so we knew it was coming. There was a podcast that we listened to that talked about the signs that it's coming. And there are some signs to look for. And so we kind of had a heads up on that. And it was kind of hard to listen to that podcast episode, but it was helpful. And, like, physical things as well as emotional things to look for. And there's there's not a lot of talk about that stuff, but the nurses know the signs. And it's funny because these are things that maybe aren't in medical textbooks, but that nurses know. So when yeah. you, you hear people talking to people that aren't there or saying that people visited them that have died, those are very common things. And that's a good indicator that... yeah there's only a few days left or you're getting closer Mm -hmm. and there is a doctor right now that's actually there's several that are devoting study to that because it's not a sign of mental illness it's not a sign of the drugs that you're on because a lot of these people aren't even on any drugs my dad was on a lot of pain meds but he didn't even want to take any pain meds he was like oh no they wanted to give him percocet he's like oh no you can get addicted to that i'm like when are you going to get addicted to that like you don't have the time buddy like Oh, he was like, oh, so no, no, sweet, no. Though. But like, I'm like, you now is the time. Yeah. The time is now. Um, That's true. My both of my grandparents before they died um, said that they saw people. My grandma, she said, where did your dad go? He was just here. But he had died like five years before. Prior. Yeah. You know, they it's all, very common. Yeah. And, the, and this doctor that is doing this study, it's funny because he thought he was like the hotshot new doctor and he's working in hospice and he's like, okay, we just need to up this med and this guy will be 
out of here. Like, he doesn't even need to be here in hospice. And the nurse is like, no, he's only got a few days left. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I was just in there with him. And she's like, he's seen his mother and she already passed. She's like, so I, and sure enough, it was only days later that that guy passed away. And that was when that doctor was like, there's something here that no one's studying and that no one's looking into. And so he interviews people. It is very interesting, his work. But, and that was very much the case for my dad. It wasn't, it wasn't my grandma and it wasn't, but he was, I know he was talking to some people and, but he wouldn't tell us. He was still like aware enough not to tell us about it. Really? So you would be like, who are you talking to? Yep. And he would just ignore us, which is something he did a lot, like growing up too. He would just like, (laughs) if we asked him something he didn't want to answer, he would just ignore us. And he knew that eventually we would just stop asking or he'd be like, that's enough. He would just say that's enough. And like, so we would just stop. We yeah. would just stop asking. But, but yeah, so, so then we talked about as a family, like how we wanted to be notified that he was either passed or he was going to pass. And my brother did not want to get a text saying, your dad's dying. Come now. Yeah. Or, you know. So we came up with, my mom was just going to text, like, you should come visit at hospice. That was what she was going to text us. And that was us knowing, like, hurry up and get here kind of thing. The one night we thought he was going to go. So I just was like, I'm just going to sleep here at hospice. And my mom was sleeping there as well, actually. Did so they, they give you, like, a bed to sleep in? So or? my mom had, like, a little fold-out couch thing. and And then I was sleeping on this, like, recliner chair. And so she just wasn't sleeping much, my mom. And then because she could hear when my dad would stir and he would get fevers in the night Mm. and he would not do well in the night. And that also reminded me of like having a new baby because the night that I slept over, like I was like running to the bathroom to like get a cold cloth to like dab him because he was too uncomfortable and like doesn't want to call the nurses, even though like they're the best nurses there at hospice. They're the best nurses in the world. They're the ones at hospice. They are just a different kind. They do not get paid as much as they should. And they know that and they don't care and they do that work. And I, oh, I just love them. But I would, I'd be trying to get the cloth. And that was something that my mom did every night. And I just did one night and I was like, well, that's a lot. That's a lot of work. That's on top of when you're so tired and emotionally drained doing that. So he would have rough nights. So I stayed that night because I was scared he was going to go and he did not. And so even the one day, the one, so it was that morning I woke up. It's not funny, but it is funny. And like my mom, my mom and I will kind of giggle about this. So my mom was like, I'm going to let him know it's okay to go. Like when I say go, I'm saying die, but yeah. it's just a nicer way to say that. Pass on. So I wake up and I can hear her being like, it's okay, Elf. You don't need to stay. You don't, she's giving him this like really beautiful, like, talk and he's like go where (laughs) just like what are you talking about she's like it's okay you can go and he's like go where (laughs) like he was not and i remember like oh dad stop making this so hard (laughs) like but he was just so i don't think he knew that he was going to be going so quick i don't think he actually knew so we played a lot of his favorite songs and he would even this is the morning that he passed away. We put on, you know, the Beatles and he would just, we would see his fingers just tapping along. And that's what he always did when he would be driving in the car, his fingers would just tap on the wheel as he was driving. And so we knew that he could still hear us all. And so we would just say things and then we would just be quiet. And, 
And then my mom would sing and eventually we were all there and except for obviously my sister. So I was there, my brother and my younger sister and then my two older sisters and then my oldest was in the States. So we were all there and our spouses, our partners were there as well. And, and so we were just in the room and we just eventually, he wasn't really responding to much at that point, like to the music or to anything. So we knew that it was coming closer and like the doctor knew it was coming closer. And so every hour they would just have us leave the room and they would just like check on him and, and, and tend to him. And then we would come back in the room. And I remember thinking like, he's going to eventually not take in another breath and someone's going to be really dramatic and just be like, dad, you're not breathing. Like, you know, what you see in the movies. And I just was like, I just want to be calm and it's going to be okay that that happens. And that's not going to be you that does that. And so like, I'm trying to prepare myself for the moment. And it was emotional for sure. We were all around him around the bed and his younger brother and two of his sisters were also there. They had come. And so they were kind of in chairs to the side and like the in-laws were kind of like on the couch and the chairs surrounding. And then uh, my mom and us siblings, we were right there at the bed and I was holding his hand because we kind of switched positions yeah. as we went. and I was holding his hand and my mom was holding his other hand and we had been there all morning and now it's about two o'clock and she just his the breathing's really shallow I should say I, I forget not a lot of people maybe know what it's like to be around someone that's dying the breathing's just very shallow and and it can be a breath an inhale and then nothing and then the exhale comes much later than you would anticipate so it was breathing like that for a good while so my mom just stood up and she's like I'm just gonna open the window and so she opened the window and they could just hear the birds singing out and then he just he didn't take another inhalation he didn't breathe and I remember just standing up and like I was the person like it was me that was like he's not breathing like dad dad like even though in my head I was like, one of your siblings is going to do this and it's going to be stupid and like, blah. and it was me that did yeah. it. And because I just couldn't prepare myself. Like, you just can't prepare yourself. And then my mom was like, she had, it was the only second she left his side. And, and that's so him too. Like, yeah. it is so him. Like, you don't, a lot of people don't want to be surrounded maybe when they pass, but, and and I just, I just remember not taking in the moment because I was so much in denial that it was happening. That I just don't really remember much because I, it just couldn't be real. So then we had the funeral and the funeral was so beautiful. We had a piper play us in and then we each got to talk and I don't know. I just, for mine, I just talked about all these different, if, 
if you want to think of my dad, you can do these things. And it was this big list of things. And we were just <laughs> You, laughing. like, did a bit. <laughs> it was basically a bit. And people loved it. Like, why not do a bit? Of course. I think my biggest regret about the funeral is when I went up to do my turn, I wanted to take a picture of everyone because the room Aww. was full. I wanted to know everyone because I didn't get to see everyone that was there. We did three nights of three hours for visitation, and it was full the entire time. Wow. It never stopped for three hours. So... There were so many people there, so many people that respected my dad. There was a woman that came up to me and she's like, are you one of his daughters? And I was like, yes, I am. And she's like, well, I just want you to know that your dad was like a no BS kind of guy. And when I got this certain job, the pay was less than what the previous person was. And your dad was the one that was like, she doesn't get paid less because she's a woman. And I'm like, well, you're telling the right daughter this <laughs> yes, story because like, I'm proud of him. Oh. <laughs> My dad was not perfect. I'm like, obviously not. No one is. But I, that was nice for me to be able to hear that yeah, about him. What a beautiful and, moment too. Like, yes. you know, if, I kind of feel like he was, I don't know. That's just my thing. Like, he orchestrated it. It's like, oh, go, go tell that her. one. <laughs> tell her. Don't tell that one. But no. <laughs> no, we're all good girls. Yeah. But yeah, it, I appreciated that story and knowing that about my dad because I don't, I, how would I know that? I wouldn't know that story. Yeah. And and it was just, and she was like, well, I'm one of his transit nerd friends. And I'm like, yes, you are. <laughs> like, it was her and there was two other guys. And like, they just, they are transit nerds. She's like, we called ourselves transit nerds. And I'm like, and they go to like the conferences and like that was the highlight of my dad's life was going to these conferences <laughs> and i can't remember of oh, the cuta conferences that's what they're called canadian urban transit association <laughs> oh man that's cute so anyways that's cuta <laughs> that's a cuta <laughs> so it was nice hearing that and seeing all the people that knew him and i wish i w i wish i had taken up i just didn't think it was appropriate so you like get up there. I mean, I yeah, did I say bloody hell at the pulpit, which <laughs> maybe wasn't appropriate, but <laughs> it was at church too. <laughs> yeah. Um. No, it was it was a good funeral, and then the piper like went out to have a smoke right when we were done, so he didn't play us out. He's like, <laughs> so um, because it, it was a long service, but it was actually so beautiful walking out in the silence. Mm -hmm. because there were so many people in that room and there was not a sound it was just it was just i don't know what it was so then we went we did a dove release which i loved i loved doing that and and yeah and so then i went home and then in the evening my i told you about my friend Lindsay. she drove me home and she was the one that said you should do stand-up with or not stand-up comedy writing <laughs> which was actually stand-up and and so, because after my dad died, I I thought, I don't want to have so many things saved for later, because there might not be later. And, and so, I tried to do, there's a couple books. There's Shonda Rhimes' Year of Yes, which I had read, and there's My Year with Eleanor, which is about Eleanor Roosevelt, and... And I just was like, I need to start living my life. I hadn't been. I When I went into my dad's hospital room that day, when I marched in and was like, I have to tell him everything kind of thing, I, the first thing I said to him was, I feel like I'm late to my life. And I was late to my life. And that's okay. We have this thing. I specifically have this thing about being late. And there's nothing wrong with being late. And so I, I did the stand-up. 
and we know how that went. And then I joined the parent council because he's like, first, you need to start at the school. So I did. And I joined our parent council at school, my boys school, not at my school. I don't go to school. <laughs> Too cool for school. <laughs> um, and then I had wanted to do kickboxing for a long time. And like, I'm like for a year, I had looked it up online already and I couldn't work up the courage to actually go to do kickboxing and because my dad had died and I knew he had all this stuff saved I was like I have to just do this so I talked myself into it which took a long time too and then the day came for me to go for the first time like I had already called and been like what do I need to do what do I wear like I literally gave them all the questions and she was so great the receptions they had there. And so I go, or no, I'm ready to go. And I'm just curled up in a ball on the floor. That's me like being brave. Like, yeah. cause you know, I tell people like kickbox, they're like, Oh, good for you. And I'm like, you don't even know. Like <laughs> I literally was curled up in a ball <laughs> leaning up to that. And, and, and so I went and my instructor was amazing. He was, it was more of a self-defense class and he was a very, not politically correct let's say and he was like johnny lawrence very much so very much so like johnny lawrence and but that was a big learning moment for me because just because he isn't politically correct doesn't mean i can't learn something from him and doesn't mean he yeah doesn't have value i never thought that but but i know some people do and it's like they totally write them off yes and and i know that this man is trot was trying he just came from a different time yeah where he couldn't talk about certain things and so so he was my teacher and i know my dad would have just thought he was the funniest person ever <laughs> like he would have like hearing my stories of what happened in class like he would come grab yeah. us by the neck and be like what do you do how do you get out of this situation like that oh kind of thing gosh. And i know my dad would have thought that was so funny so i go to the class and the first thing you do at the class is skipping and I know how to skip. Like, we learned how to skip in school. But, like, this is cool skipping. This isn't regular skipping. This is, like, you need to know how to switch feet. And, like, you're not, like, swinging around and hopping twice and then yeah. jumping over. And so I was so embarrassed. I was like, everyone knows how to do this. And if I'm not good at something right away, I don't want to keep yeah. going. And so oh, I was so, I don't know, taken back. So I keep going. And... Everyone's like, oh, you'll get there. It just takes a couple couple times and then you get there. A couple weeks and you'll have it. No problem. Everyone got it within a couple weeks. It took me three months to learn <laughs> oh how to goodness. skip properly. But you kept going. I kept going. And I, and part of it was like, I have my kids that I look to and I know that they don't just give up. Like, I yeah. tell them, I'm like, you have to keep going. That's the only way you're going to learn. Like, if you're riding a bike, you yep. don't just like fall once and yep. then you're keep like. Keep pedaling, keep pedaling. And so I'm like, okay, keep going. But like, I <laughs> three months was a long time compared to everyone else and like new people would come and like already pick it up and like I'd be like oh I'd be so embarrassed so eventually I learned how to skip and then I've had a lot of coaches and I had a lot of teachers in my life and like I said about Mr. Yab I never listened I would hear what they said but I it didn't yeah. mean anything to me because it didn't I didn't get it I didn't understand it and so the one day he was like, okay, we're going to skip for a full minute high knees. We're going to do, so we would do three sets of three minutes of skipping. Wow. And 
So for the third set, we were going to skip with our knees high the entire last minute, which was a long time. Yeah. And it was something like I could barely do for 10 seconds because we would normally do it for 10 seconds and then we'd go back to normal skipping. And he said we were going to do it. And I'm like, I'm not going to be able to do this. But I was like, I'm going to try as hard as I can kind of thing. And so I'm going and he's like, okay, you're almost there now. Keep going. Another 10 is going to be knocked down. And, and he kept motivating us. He's like, you're going to do it. We're doing it right now. He's like, try your hardest. And I was like, try my hardest. Like, and then I remembered like the Mr. Yap thing. And I'm like, yeah, try my hardest. Okay. Like, I might not make it this whole minute, but I owe it to myself to try as hard as I can kind of thing. And because I will give up mentally before I will give up physically. That's me. And so I was like, okay. So I just kept going and I made it through the entire minute. And, and all of a sudden, like, I felt like I had knocked this huge wall down in my brain. And I was like, he knew I could do something I didn't know I could do. And that was not a concept I'd ever acknowledged before in my life. I thought I knew everything about me. But he knew how to push me. And he knew, I don't know, how to coach in a better way than I'd ever been coached. And it also has to do with me being willing to listen. Like, I listened to him. He said, you're going to do this. I listened to that. I heard that. And I accepted that as truth. So he, he became someone that I looked forward to seeing every week. What can I learn now? What is he going to teach me? Because this wasn't just kickboxing. This was like also in my life. Like what else have I stopped myself from doing from not listening? And right before COVID, about a month before COVID, he had to stop teaching because he ended up getting kidney cancer. And I was like, oh, I was devastated because I was like, that's what my dad had. And then this is like, it's going to happen yeah. all over again. And and it didn't. He's doing well right now. He oh, he is doing better. But but kickboxing, again, this is something I almost robbed myself of because I couldn't even work up the courage to get there physically and try. And then also the failure of my skipping. It sounds so stupid, but no one wants to be embarrassed. No one wants yeah. to suck at anything, but everyone sucks. Can we say sucks? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Some people are offended by sucks, but that's not our gen. I don't want my kids saying sucks, but... yeah. Life sucks. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. No one Should wants I to suck. that, though? Make it seem like we said something bad? <laughs> yeah. No, no one wants to fail. And and I think if my dad hadn't passed away, I don't think I... I know I wouldn't have done stand-up. I know I wouldn't have done kickboxing. Kickboxing has reduced my anxiety. Like, I can't even tell you how much. I sleep so well. I always had trouble sleeping. I sleep so well. And... And I've knocked down emotional walls. Yeah. I've proven to myself that I can do hard things and I can do more than I think. And then I need to listen to others more. And and then, you know, COVID has kind of put a damper on a lot of that learning that I was doing. And I'm sure that's the way it is for a lot of people right now. But same as stand-up. Same as so much. But because of that, then I started my cross-stitch channel. So your dad passes away. You have this sort of new energy, this new mentality, like, I have to start living my life. I have to start doing these things. I owe it to myself. You do stand-up. 
you do kickboxing, you learn how to skip. I skipped. You <laughs> was skipped. So it was, but it was so much more than just a skip. And I hope yeah. that everyone just thinks about these little teeny victories in their life as not just so teeny. Oh, because yeah. it's so much more. We need to think deeper into things. We minimize so much. So okay, I am me making bread. Like you guys don't even know how excited I was to send you those photos. Like it's these little things. It is. And it's things maybe we don't think we have in us even. I don't know. Like yeah. it's ridiculous. So I'm trying to just like ride the high of everything. I'm, nothing will touch that stand-up high though. Like I can't yeah. even describe it. I was like, people were like, hey, so like where else are you doing stand-up? Like, blah, blah, blah. like I felt like a celebrity and like Brad was like, oh my gosh, you're the coolest. Like I felt <laughs> but Something that I need to say about stand-up. So I also just thought, I was like, so I joined in like a higher level class. I didn't do any previous classes, but like my friend vouched me. She's like, she doesn't need it. She's good. She's funny. And I was like, and so I felt so confident. I probably feel the most confident in being able to make someone laugh. Uh, I don't know if that'll come through in this podcast, but uh, (laughs) I was like, oh, I can, I'm going to get picked up to like do stand-up like easy. Like if I do this, like I'm exactly. And that was so stupid, obviously, because I have done several shows and I, through that, I learned what the process is for getting out there in stand-up. And like, it is a grind. You yeah. have to do show after show. You go from show to show every night. Yeah. So it is like, it is so much work. It's not something that I would be able to do as a and mother. it's late nights. It's late nights. Right? Exactly. Like yeah. as a stay-at-home mom, even though I'm not a stay-at-home mom, but I am. Yeah. You know, it's like that is not... It's not something I would be able to do. And it's so much work. And then even when you make it, it's so much travel and time away. And it's like, no, yeah. that's not what I actually want. Yeah. But it's fun to do here But and it's there. very fun to do as a hobby. So I, I'm hobby. I have been paid to do stand-up. So I can say I'm a professional. But not really because, you know. <laughs> like, you're a professional if you get paid. But I'm not really a professional. I just have, like, my yeah my bits. Do you continue writing new stuff? I do. So I have, like, notes on my phone whenever something... It's just funny to me. I just kind of write it down. And after I talk to you today, you're like, bananas. Bananas. <laughs> From my mom. I'm going to steal your mom's bit, your banana bit. Yeah. Um, and then talk to me about how cross-stitching came in. Okay. So I'm, I've got all this momentum after, you know, my dad's passed. I'm going to live my life differently. I'm going to make sure I'm living it. And and then COVID. And it's it really put a damper on things. Because we were so restricted in what we could do. And I couldn't go to kickboxing in person. And I couldn't do stand-up shows. And there wasn't a whole lot that I could do. But I had wanted to get back into cross-stitching. My mom had taught me how to cross-stitch when I was probably six or seven. And I liked it, but I didn't keep up with it. And so I was like, I'm going to revisit this. And I had picked up a couple magazines from a thrift store, like, maybe a few months before. Was it the GBF? It was the Grimsby Benevolent Fund. Bleep that out. I don't want people going there stealing all the good <laughs> <No> stuff. <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. So I start cross-stitching. And then I remember that my husband has a cousin who has a cross-stitch YouTube channel. So I'm like, I'm going to watch her channel while I'm cross-stitching because it's addicting. Like yes. when you get going on it, you get going. And it's fun. It's therapeutic. It's relaxing. And It's so satisfying it's so when satisfying. you finish a project. It's mm-hmm. one of those things. It is one of those things. So I made this tiny little cross-stitch reindeer and it took me so long. And when I think about it now, it makes me laugh because it should have only taken me like an hour or two. And it took me like days to make this. And I'm watching this. It's called Floss Tube. And I'm like, 
oh, I, I just loved it. I was getting satisfied just watching like this Brad's cousin every week showing her project and how it's coming along and she's working on a whole bunch of different projects. And and so I just kind of got obsessed with cross-stitching and I kind of wanted to make my own videos. Like I had wanted to kind of have a blog or have a podcast or something, but I'd never actually gone ahead and done it. I think they say showing up's the hardest part. Yeah. And it really is. You can dream about doing things, but until you do them, it's nothing. Dreams are something, but it's not the same. So I had all these ideas and I'm like, oh, I really want to do it, but I don't feel like I'm qualified because I'm a brand new cross-stitcher and all these people that are doing it have been stitching for years. And so my husband really encouraged me and I, I talked to his cousin and she really encouraged me. She's like, you have to. Everyone would just love you. And she was so positive. She was just a light. And so I got up the courage to just do it. And and I've been making episodes ever since then. And I have made so many friends and just people from all across the world that I chat with almost every day. And and they and we we talk to each other and we share stuff and we talk in our videos about each other. And it's real friendships and really only because of COVID that I have this now. And I, I can't imagine not making the videos. It's almost like a diary yeah, it's like a weird diary to have, like my cross-stitching diary, but I actually do have a cross-stitching diary as well that I like write about each project oh in. <laughs> Someone that was a fan sent me one and I, Aww. so, and I, I say fan loosely, like I, they're friends. They're my friends. I, I'll say that because <laughs> we're not talking about like hundreds of thousands of people I'm going to start like, referring to my listeners as fans from now yeah, on. Yeah, they're your fans. I would say they're your fans. Yeah. That's why I'm always like, where's your, the fan page? I always want to leave the oh, comments on your stuff. <laughs> I'm like, no Facebook page for this one. You're like, no. <laughs> I'm like, you don't want me to harass you on there? Okay. Just private message me. Yeah. Go yeah. On. So, so I, Yeah. It's been a really nice creative outlet for me. And do you think that it's helped you in your grieving process, all of these things that you've been doing? So I guess my my grief mentality became one of grief is taking so much from me. Well, I'm going to take right back from it. Like, that's my attitude, right? Like, so... I decided I was going to let it push me and I was going to learn from what happened from my dad, you know, saving all these really amazing things for when the work was done. And, and I noticed I had been doing that myself in my life. And so I decided I'm not going to do that. I'm not, the work may never be done and, or I might not have enough time to finish the work. So I decided I'm going to do these things now. I'm not going to wait. And I'm I'm going to live my life. And that includes, you know, kickboxing, going to a kickboxing class and doing stand-up comedy and starting a YouTube channel and going to BC. It was all these things that I don't think I would have ever done if I hadn't experienced this loss if I hadn't decided to take from the grief. Mm-hmm. 